0: I'm John Burlingame, and welcome to For Scores. This podcast series takes listeners into the world of Disney's film and television music. In each episode, we interview some of the most accomplished and iconic composers working today. Until now, they've never had the opportunity to reveal to fans the emotional journeys of the music, the challenges of the creative process, and all the special moments that truly transport us into another place, another world, Another Time. In this episode, I spoke with the amazingly talented Pinar Toprak, the composer of Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel. She has the distinction of being the first woman to score a major live-action superhero movie. She's also a prolific composer of television and video games. We had our conversation in her home studio. It's a sanctuary filled with instruments, computers, and speakers, and a comfy couch— I started by asking her if there were things she kept around to inspire her or remind her where she's from.
1: There there are quite a few things, but the one constant thing that hasn't changed in the last 21 years is a CD that I bought in Boston um, when I was a student at Berklee College of Music. And I was a piano performance major, but one evening I got out of the practice rooms and I went to Tower Records, um, and Prince of Egypt
0: had just come out. So this was in 1998, and this movie was an epic animated musical drama about Moses' journey from Egyptian prince to leading the children of Israel out of Egypt.
1: This is before the days of Spotify, YouTube, so when you want to listen to a soundtrack, you do go to the listening stations and <laughs> you put the headphones on, and I started listening, and um I only had about $20 left to my name for and I had to survive on for several days. I was so captivated by this soundtrack that um, they were about to close and I was like a kid that wouldn't like go of a toy. And I'm like no, you can't take this away from me. So I ended up buying that soundtrack with my last money basically. And I listened to it all night long and something just touched me. Um, so much and it, it, it was like a revelation, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say I woke up because I didn't sleep that entire night. I listened to that soundtrack literally all night. When the offices opened at the school, I went and changed my major to film scoring. It felt very free. It was scary. I think anytime we do anything um, that could impact the rest of our life in some way, it should probably be a little scary, because fear is a good ingredient to have. But it was also just really freeing, because I knew that I was finally doing something that made me really, really happy. And ever since that day, I keep that CD next to my keyboard. Anything that I've written in the last 21 years, um, I've written
0: with that CD next
1: to me. So that's probably one of my, in case of fire, possessions, for sure.
0: So you got the CD in Boston, but you're not originally from there.
1: I'm from Istanbul, Turkey. I did, I started conservatory when I was tiny, uh, about five, six years old. And um, at first I was playing the violin and uh, that wasn't my instrument. (laughs) Uh, I love it. I love writing for it very much, but uh, I ended up switching to classical guitar and I got my degree in classical guitar. Um, But all throughout, I loved films so much. all I wanted to do was, was be a part of filmmaking and storytelling that way. And music was the, the, the language that I knew that could help me be a part of filmmaking, basically. that was that, That's how I could be a part of this world. But funny enough, when I was growing up, I didn't even really know the concept of soundtracks. I loved the music so much. I mean, I loved the films, but I just loved what the music made me feel. And so I would... Uh, I had my Walkman being an 80s kid, and I would go and record the TV um, so that I could hear the music back again whenever I wanted. Being the genius that I am, I didn't know that you could actually buy the soundtrack. So when I found that out, then I started using all my allowance on that one.
0: There weren't many women composers scoring films and television when you were growing up. Were you aware of any, some that you might have considered role models?
1: This is before the day of Internet, so... Now we can easily Google women composers and get a whole list. But back then, they were, as far as I was concerned, Shirley Walker and Rachel Portman were the two names that I kept seeing. Um, and Shirley Walker uh, did so many things. I mean, she, she did the, the, the Batman TV shows and so many other wonderful things. Um, she definitely was uh, the original Trailblazer, for sure. And Rachel Portman has written so many scores that I've loved over the years, beautiful themes, and um, she was definitely a name that I, I kept seeing. But there weren't too many.
0: So you continued studying at the conservatory and graduated when you were 16. Why then come to America?
1: Back in the 90s, in Turkey, for me to say this is what I want to do was definitely not a common thing. I wanted to make sure that I, that I have the, the freedom to carve my own path. I came here because I love Hollywood films. I love the big scope, um, and uh, that was the goal. And I figured, okay, it's so a step by step, you know, the first step, go to America, learn English, get the education, and it was it's kind of chess
0: moves all along the way. So that first chess move got you to Chicago, right? What played into that decision?
1: When I first moved here, I didn't even really know English. I had very basic English, and I also had to figure out a way to send myself to college because there was no college tuition saved by my parents. That I mean, that concept doesn't really even exist because I was already at a conservatory that state funded. That you know, I, if I wanted, I could stay till the end of my PhD, tuition free. Um, so the whole idea of, okay, now this is, this is an expensive school, how do I make that happen? And my father said, well, okay, go live with your brother for a year and learn English and see if he can figure out a way to go to college. And I took that as a challenge and, um, and it worked out.
0: Your hard work did pay off. You were accepted at the prestigious Berklee School of Music in Boston. Like so many other students with the dream, you got loans, grants, and scholarships to pay for your education.
1: So I was 19 years old when I finished Berkeley. I was 19. I knew that I was going to come to Los Angeles. Again, this was part of the chess moves. Um, The next move was to actually move here. When I moved here, I didn't know anybody. It was actually quite depressing. I remember... After like, Two months after I moved here, I flew back to Boston just so that I could see some familiar faces because I didn't even have a friend to have coffee with. Most of my friends were still at Berkeley, and I didn't know anyone. I, I also knew that I wanted to keep studying for multiple reasons, um, and I wanted to get a master's degree in classical composition.
0: Really? Why?
1: I wanted a different kind of approach without picture, um, just to really concentrate on composition itself. And I'm also fascinated by early music, so I study some Renaissance and Baroque music, and that was incredibly, really, really fun.
0: That was at Cal State Northridge, where you got what you've since called your lucky break.
1: Paramount Pictures Music Department called uh, our department chair at CSUN and asked for um, a, a grad school composition intern. intern in their music department and the chair recommended me (laughs) and it was incredible so I started my first you know quote-unquote job and it was an incredible experience to get to be on the lot every day and to be part of the scoring stages and the scoring sessions and get to know everyone from the contractors to the musicians engineers and it was uh, it was a beautiful gift to receive <laughs> my my first year being in LA.
2: Four Scores is brought to you by the Four Scores playlist, featuring music and interview clips from each composer featured in the podcast series, including Pinar Toprock's Captain Marvel. The Four Scores playlist is available on all major music streaming services. Experience the magic behind the soundtracks you love whenever you want.
1: The next move, again the next chess move, was I knew I wanted to work for Hans Zimmer.
0: Hans Zimmer, an Academy Award winning film composer and music producer, known for scoring films like Disney's The Lion King and many other films, including Rain Man, Inception, and the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Why Hans Zimmer?
1: Um, well, multiple reasons. I've loved his scores. Uh, I wanted to learn from him, through him, and uh, Prince of Egypt was his as well, so I, I knew he, he, has, he has always had a very special place in my heart. And I just wanted to learn I wanted to to breathe that air, so to speak. But I didn't know anybody there. So I ended up calling everyone, pretty much, that was working there because I figured getting through the Hans would be very difficult. Um, so if I worked for another composer that worked there and maybe kind of work my way that way. And so I, uh, there's a composer that, uh, that I called many, many times they rescheduled meetings several times, <laughs> and I, I was being very annoying, but I called for almost a month, um, pretty much almost every day. I followed up constantly, and I was being very annoying. Um, but I figured, hey, I have nothing to lose. You know, Right now, I'm not working there, and worst case is I'm still not gonna work there. <laughs> um, so I ended up uh, finally getting a meeting. But that day, I happened to meet somebody in the hallway, who was then doing the sample library thing. And I just gave my card to him. And I didn't even think anything of it. And then, I can't remember, was it that day or the next day, he called me up and he said, you know, would you, you know do you have any experience in sample programming and, and Pro Tools? And, you know, there was a software that we used to use back then, Giga Studio, and a lot of things were being uh, programmed for that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. The answer was no. (laughs) I knew how to use uh, Gigo Studio as an end user, but I hadn't actually programmed anything.
0: Yet you said yes anyway. Absolutely.
1: Uh, My general motto is always yes and figure it out. The good thing was that he said, okay, great, you start on Monday. And he had called me on a Friday. That was brilliant because I had the full weekend to actually learn. Um, So I deconstructed the samples that I had. I rebuilt them. I read whatever I could. uh, And by the time I got there on Monday, I actually knew what I was doing.
0: Were you working directly for Hans?
1: At first, no. Um, But I was an intern there doing that sample library for about, I want to say, maybe six months or so. And then one day in the hallway, just in passing, because I had met Hans during this process, he asked me very casually, and I'll never forget this. It was just so, like such a casual way of (laughs) offering me a job. He was like, do you want a full-time job working for me? This is literally us passing each other in the hallway. I was like, I just looked at him, I said, yes. And he was like, okay, great. And that was kind of like it.
0: What would you say you learned from Hans while you were there?
1: Being in an environment where things are actually happening, you're dealing with the, the pressure, and you're also learning how other people handle pressure. Um, and what to what to do what not to do you know it's it's beyond a lot of this business is beyond the music itself it's about how to navigate all the other storms around it whether they are technical or um, personal communication his communication skills are fantastic there's so much to learn he's a walking master class when it comes to uh, relationships and communication so Of course, I learned a lot uh, in terms of the craft itself, but just that alone is so valuable and it's so difficult to learn in any other scenario.
0: Was there a point then when you knew you were ready to go out on your own, start to navigate these waters yourself?
1: Right before that, um, I had an opportunity to work for William Ross, who is someone that I admire a great deal, wonderful orchestrator, composer, arranger. But when this opportunity presented itself to actually work with Bill, um, he was looking for an assistant.
0: William Ross is a renowned composer, orchestrator, and arranger who has worked with a wide range of musical luminaries, like Barbara Streisand, John Williams, Sting, and Josh Groban. Bill was a very orchestral guy.
1: He is, and there are so many priceless tips and tricks that I've learned even just looking at his scores and just learning how uh, he's, he's a master. He's, he's fantastic. Uh, while I was working for him, um, I got a chance to work on a video game. And that kind of really started my solo life, so to speak.
0: What game was it?
1: Uh, it was a game called 99 Nights for uh, Xbox 360. Um and that actually got me my first agent.
0: That video game got your name out there and led to a movie opportunity. What was that?
1: The film was Behind Enemy Lines too. I wrote the demo and I got the job, which is incredible. Um, and it just kind of one thing after another after that.
0: You continued to score TV, film, and video games, like the wildly popular Fortnite. But scoring Disney's Captain Marvel must be life-changing. How'd you get the gig?
1: I had an opportunity to write a demo Um, and I took that very seriously (laughs) and um, I hired a 70 piece orchestra and recorded (laughs) and conducted and did this whole video shoot but once they cleared me um, I went over to Marvel and read the script and then they gave me two previous scenes. Um, I call it storyboards on steroids. <laughs> it's almost like a video game version of what the scene is going to be like. Um, it gives everyone an idea of, you know, how the scene flow is going to be, and from the visual effects, and you know, um, and how it's going to be shot, etc. So um, I had these two scenes, and I knew that the demo had to be great. You know, a shot like that doesn't come around often. I wanted it to be the best. I wrote the music. I hired a 70-piece orchestra. I also knew that I wasn't necessarily going to be in a room with you know, the Marvel executives and Ryan and Anna.
0: That's directors Ryan Fleck and Anna Boden.
1: So I had this one opportunity to show them what I could do and give an essence of who I am. So being in, the, in front of the orchestra and conducting, I wanted them to see that. I also wanted them to see me in the studio and just kind of have a, almost a, I just talked to the camera. It was like an intimate version of the, you know, the, the theme that I had written back then. I played it on the piano, and um, and, a, and a friend of mine played the So It was just a piano, violin, intimate version of what they were about to hear, full blown with an orchestra. And I talked about my approach and what Captain Marvel means to me, and. Um, I wanted to make that personal impression. That's, it's just very different, you know, hearing a piece of music on MP3, and that's fine too, but the stakes were really high with this one, and I wanted it to get it so badly.
0: And as we all know now, you did. So take me through your creative process.
1: That was a funny story. So um, anytime I start anything, it first begins with a mild panic attack. And um, also thinking that I'll never write another note again, that I'm done. The last thing I wrote was the last thing I wrote. I'm finished. Um, such a composer <laughs> way of thinking, I think. But um, so I was in the studio for a couple of days playing with so many different ideas, and, and in the meantime, you know, I was getting messages, and you know, Captain Marvel theme. You know, hopefully it's timeless, and it's this. It's so important, and. That's not helpful, because then I'm like, oh my god, you're questioning every single note that you write. And um, so after this two day um, process, mild panic attack mode, um, I finally said, okay, I have to go out for a walk. So I uh, left the studio, put my comfy shoes on, and started walking. I knew two things uh, that I wanted to accomplish with the theme. One was, uh, I wanted it to be singable. I wanted it to be a tune. I wanted it to have a beginning and an end. Um, But a lot of times before that, you don't have that much time to state the entire theme. So it was important that the first two notes had some sort of a character that was unique or recognizable. So even if you just hinted those two notes, you know it's Carol Danvers. And then I'm thinking, okay, higher, further, faster, and all these things. And um, the minor seventh, that's what I wanted to start with. So with that information at hand, I started walking, and I just started humming and looking like a p- crazy person. Um, and then I came up with something that I sang, and it's like, okay, I, it wasn't the entire theme, but it was the beginning of the theme, which is the hardest to crack Um, and I I was okay with it which was the maximum I could have asked for at that point (laughs) you know that just being okay with it Um, and I called someone in my team and I was like okay uh, what do you think of this one so I sang the theme over the phone and my friend said okay you got to hang up now you're going to forget it record it on your voice memo it's great. And I was like, Are you sure? I was like, Yeah, yeah, it's great. Just hang up and record it and then call me back after. Okay. So I hung up the phone and I recorded my voice memo, which I still have, by the way, on my phone. Excuse my singing, I'm not a singer. But, and you're going to hear me kind of jog in the meantime. But here we go. Da, 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 da. So that was it
0: So that is how you started with the theme for Captain Marvel. What was most important to get right?
1: Uh, The main thing was to create something that's timeless, that can kind of keep on living, and uh, that's part of the other reason why I wanted something singable uh, that could be played with different ensembles and different things over time, and it could evolve in different ways.
0: And then you recorded all the music for Captain Marvel in London at Abbey Road. When you walked in there, what were you reminded of? What was it like to be in that historic place?
1: I mean, you feel, um, as, you just, as you first step foot in it, you, I can't help but think this is where the Beatles <laughs> walked and recorded, and, um, and so many other legendary artists. It's, uh, so much history has been made there. It's a remarkable, it's the holy grail of um, studios, really.
0: There's about 100 minutes of music in Captain Marvel, and your orchestra was big, 90 players. Were there any unusual instruments that you wouldn't normally find in a traditional symphonic ensemble?
1: Yes, uh, there's definitely an homage to 90s cop action films like Lethal Weapon. Um, so in terms of instrumentation and just the energy of the cues, uh, I, it was my little hats off to that, that era. The guitars and um, and the, the the style of writing that particular action is different than how today's action is written, so to speak. And then you know, for the the hybrid elements, it was really really fun to kind of have uh, make unique sounds with Sin synth, my synths, and I also had some fantastic synth programmers that helped out as well. And it was just a really fun playground to have.
0: Are the electronic sounds associated with any particular character or group in the film?
1: They're associated with the, the cosmic scene, so to speak, and the Kree mostly. There are some elements of it in the scrolls too, but um, usually the, generally for the, the hybrid cosmic moments.
0: What about Nick Fury, the Samuel L. Jackson character? Did you do anything special for him musically?
1: Oh, yeah, so he got that special 90s treatment. Uh, it was really, really great. A lot of like Eric Clapton sounding guitars, and um,
0: it was really, really fun. Captain Marvel has been a tremendous global success. It's an instant classic, and music is a critical part of that.
1: It's, uh, it's a difficult thing to create if you think about, well, oh, this needs to stand the test of time. All right, no pressure. <laughs> um, but it's an honor, it's a huge honor. That's that's what I kept thinking from day one, and I am still incredibly grateful. I don't know if I'm prepared. I'm prepared to write. I love writing, and hopefully what I write touches people and it's listened by people. I, for most of my career, all I wanted to do was to get my music across to people. Just wanted people to listen to it. So now to have that platform is a really beautiful and rewarding thing.
2: Thanks for joining us in this episode of Four Scores. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast series and let us know what you think. Leave us a review and tune in for the rest of the season. We're talking to so many incredible composers, you won't want to miss a single episode. Watch Captain Marvel and listen to the soundtrack wherever movies and music are enjoyed. Four Scores is brought to you by Disney Music Emporium, the ultimate online destination for all things collectible and limited edition from the legendary Disney Music Catalog. Spanning over 80 years of classic Disney music, including the songs heard in the series, Disney Music Emporium is the place to go for collectible music products and the latest soundtracks from all your favorite Disney, Pixar, Lucasfilm, and Marvel movies. Go to DisneyMusicEmporium.com and add some magic to your collection.